Man, thanks for showing up. It's spring break, and uh, and uh, I was just telling uh, somebody, I think I was telling Lindsay, that uh, last year I think they canceled church during spring break, uh, and so we went from zero people to lots of people at the seven, and all of you here at the nine o'clock, and uh, it's good stuff. I don't know about you, but Danny and I, we were talking on our way here, we're, we're like battling like sincere jealousy over spring break. Um, we've decided Instagram is, is a terrible thing to have during spring break because you get to see all these people all over the country doing amazing things on amazing hikes on sandy beaches, and uh, we're not. Uh, <laughs> but that's awesome. That's all right. We, uh, we don't, spring break is, is irrelevant at our age. Um, some of you already went places on spring break. Some of you just stayed here, and uh, we're all here tonight, and that's awesome. Hey, uh, we're excited to have you guys. We're excited for our 9 o'clock service. Uh, didn't know what was going to happen, but uh, we're going we're gonna to party hard, if that's cool with you. Uh, it's cool with me. It's cool with Chris. So we're going to do it. Um, second row status ain't bad. It ain't bad. Okay, that's true. Hey, uh, we this week, we got these, uh, these new info cards, or invite cards, or cards, uh, a whole bunch of them, and they say Zootown Church, Missoula, Montana, with our website, and on the other side, it says my name, I didn't create these, I don't know who did, they just showed up on my desk, uh, at Zootown Brew, our address, and Thursdays at 7 and 9 p.m., so just the basic information of what we're doing here, and uh, so we're trying to, to invite people, and so we've got a bunch of cards up here, and in the back, and a huge box, uh, so if you want to take them, and, and pass them out to your friends, or to your strangers, um, I had a procedure on Tuesday, uh, Chris knows about this, I've got uh, several stitches down the side of my face right now, my friend Steve, who used to live under my ear, uh, has been removed, because uh, there was a cyst growing, and that's apparently not good, needs to be cut off, so uh, just moments after my head was being cauterized, I handed my nurse one of these, and said, uh, you've seen the worst of me, now why don't you come uh, to church sometime, so uh, I've been passing them out, and you guys can, can grab some, keep them in your wallet or in your pocket or in your car. If there's ever a chance to, uh, through conversation, invite somebody, uh, by all means, go for it. Uh, invite people to church. So you can have those, take as many as you want, because um, we've got a ton of them, and that would be, that'd be fun. Hey, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can grab them, and uh, you can open Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, we're going to have all the scripture on the screen tonight. We, once again, are uh, in our series from Simon to Peter which uh, is, is, it's been really fun looking at this guy. He was born with the name Simon, which meant unstable, inconsistent, like a reed blowing in the wind, and his behavior uh, was accurate to his name. But we see Jesus show up on the scene. He says, uh, you're not just Simon. Uh, I'm going to call you Peter. And he changed his name to Peter, which meant solid, it meant rock, it meant foundational. And this is, this is a change that didn't just happen to his name, but his behavior. We see this guy, Simon, has changed to Peter. We see him go from, from biblically, he's called ordinary. We see him doing the extraordinary. We see God using him in amazing ways. And it's not because he went to Bible school. Uh, it's not because he was more educated than the rest. It's not because he just had more natural gifting and talent inside of him. It's because uh, he had been with Jesus. And uh, the good news is, is we can all spend time with Jesus. Some of us aren't as smart as others. Some of us can't communicate like others. Uh, some of us just don't have the educational or the experience or the maturity in our faith as others. But we can all spend time with Jesus and be used in crazy, awesome ways to reach our community, to reach Missoula. And so we're looking at those interactions. 
We use a phrase around here a lot called uh, uh, in the zoo. It's kind of become one of our, our taglines. Uh, if you go to the new building, we've got kids in the zoo. Uh, we, whenever we do events, we had Christmas Eve in the zoo. In the zoo is kind of this tagline at our church now. And if you weren't here several months ago, last year, uh, when we talked about in the zoo, you may not even know what we mean when we always say in the zoo. So a brief summary is a, a zoo, by definition, is a place where animals are put on public display. Uh, they're not like hidden, they're, they're there to be observed, to be seen, uh, to see these animals. And, and a zoo is, is unscripted. The, the behavior, you, you can't figure it out. It's, it's unscripted, it's chaotic. And, and we even describe places as zoos, like Costco's parking lot is a zoo. Uh, it's just wild, it's chaotic, it's, it's unscripted. And, and that, by definition, is what a zoo is. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that we as followers of Jesus, uh, that we too are to be on display. And our behavior ought to look a little bit crazy, a little bit unscripted, uh, even a little bit foolish. That uh, we are to be a zoo. That we don't hide in our churches, and our Christian communities, and our Christian circles, but, but we, we, we put ourselves on display. We put our, our behavior on exhibition. It may not make sense to the rest of the world. It might be contrary to culture, but this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we, as a church, we have, we've made it a mission to actually not just have a belief system, but to, to live it out, to be in the zoo. We don't just attend a church. We live every day in the zoo. just so happens to work out nicely for us that we live in a town with the nickname Zoo Town, and that we happen to attend a church called Zootown Church. Uh, it just makes the metaphor just so much better. Uh, so thank you, Scott Clout, for naming this church Zootown so we could use a cool metaphor. Uh, but we, we want to be people that don't just go to the zoo, go to church, but we live every day, every moment in the zoo. Uh, my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle, as well as so many other people now, is Kyle in the zoo. Or it's not all Kyle in the zoo, it's Chris in the zoo. And and uh, Melody in the zoo, I don't know if you are, but you, you could be. I think that one's still available. Uh, but it just is a reminder that every, every day, every moment, every thought, every tweet, every picture, that I am I'm representing a mission, that I'm, I'm not just a pastor on Thursday nights, that I'm just I'm a guy. We're on the same playing field. I'm Kyle, and, and I've been called to be in the zoo and to occupy my platform, and, and we're all on the same level. We've all got different areas of influences and, and different uh, work sites and different families and different campuses and, and classmates, and, and we all have a platform, and it's our mission to not just hide our faith, but to be in the zoo, to put it on display, so to let people know uh, what we stand for. Peter, we find him, after his very first sermon, giving us uh, an opportunity and, and a commandment and a this concept of putting ourselves on display, of actually being in the zoo. If you check out uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter just preaches his very first sermon at the beginning of this. The Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. Crazy things happen. A zoo mentality breaks out. People are speaking in languages they don't know. Uh, they're being accused of being drunk. This crazy zoo scene takes place. This wild, unrestrained, chaotic behavior, and people are observing it. We are, by definition, in the zoo in Acts chapter 2. Peter, he stands up and he begins to preach and to explain what's happening. And he preaches the goodness of Jesus. He preaches the gospel of Jesus. And as we pick it up here in verse 37, he has just preached to people who, who are, are curious of what's happening. He preaches and tells them about Jesus. And this is their response. It says, when the people heard this about Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now that we've heard of Jesus, we think that this Jesus is a good guy, we want to receive this, uh, what do we do? How do we, how do we move forward in this? 
says that Peter, who is the, our case study, he replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Continuing on to the next verse, it says, this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, meaning geographically, other distance uh, cities and nations, and it's for all whom the Lord our God will call, speaking futuristically, speaking even 2,000 years down the road in a distant land called Missoula, uh, and, and that this is, this is still a message for today. He says, for you specifically, this is for you, but it's not just for you, it's for your kids, and it's not just for your kids, it's for the generations to come, and it's for all the world, it's for all nations. That what our response to hearing of Jesus is, is first, repent, which in essence is, is to change, to turn. To turn from the living for yourself and turn to Jesus. The first step, and when you hear Jesus, is to turn to Jesus. But once you've turned to Jesus, he says, get baptized. Now, baptism, as we'll talk about in, in, in a few minutes, is, is this, this going public, this statement of, of showing the world that, that you've made the decision to turn to Jesus. There's this outward sign that this is what's going on inside of you. And he says, every stinking one of you, not just the select few, not just those that enjoy cannonballing into water. Uh, this is for everybody. Everybody who turns to Jesus ought to be baptized, and, and this is for all time at all places that you should get baptized. This is the message that we hear Peter say. His first sermon and his first response is, well, you should repent and you should get baptized. Everybody. So tonight, uh, we're going to talk about, about baptism because next Thursday night, we're having baptism services here at Zootown Church. Uh, our 7 o'clock service is just going to be straight-up baptisms. Uh, we're going to start maybe a song or two of worship, and then uh, we're just going to dive, <laughs> dive into baptism. It was totally unplanned and not that funny, but we're laughing. We're good. Um, and then once we're done baptizing people, um, we're going to open it up to anybody who just happens to want to get baptized, even if they didn't sign up or plan on it, and they're going to get baptized in their jeans and their street clothes, and they're going to go home uh, wet, and their cars are going to get a little bit uh, wet, and it's going to be okay. When we're done baptizing people, however long that takes, we're just going to kick into worship, and that's going to go for a while. So our services next week, our 7 and 9, are just kind of going to be morphed together. We're going to worship uh, when we're done baptizing, and I don't know how long that's going to take. It might take a long time, it might take a little bit of time, and then we're going to worship until we're done. And people are going to leave when they need to leave and stay as long as they want to stay. And uh, so we're doing this next week. Therefore, I was considering, since we put this on the schedule, um, ought we talk about baptism? And, and to be honest, I started to have this, this inner conflict, and I don't even know what it was all about. But I began to think, like, man, I've only been on, on the staff at Zootown for seven months, and I've already preached on baptism. Uh, I don't know if it's my pride that says, well, you've got to come up with something new every week. You've got you to bring something new, something fresh. Truth is, uh, the Bible's been in existence for a long time, and there's nothing new in it. Like, I'm not preaching anything new ever. And, uh, and God began working uh, on my heart because I began to think, like, truth is, a lot of our church has already been baptized. They already know about baptism. And, and so I, I don't know if this is a message that our church really needs. And God just, he messed me up. He, uh, he brought me back to, to the mission and the calling of, of our lives of the, as pastors, but also the calling of this church, the mission of this church. We say it all the time, and obviously I still have some work to do in actually living it all the time, but we say all the time that we, we are not here as a church and as pastors to keep current Christians comfortable until they die and go to heaven. Like, that is not our mission. 
that Jesus' mission is to seek and save that which was lost. And he has called us as pastors, and he has called us as a church, and everyone that calls this church their home, to not just remain comfortable and consume and just get more educated until we go to heaven, but to spend every day on mission, bringing more people to the hope of Jesus. Therefore, if we are living on mission, we ought to be talking about baptism all the time. We ought to be celebrating that it's only been six months and we need to hit this topic again. That is, it is exciting that there are people that are meeting Jesus and, and going to begin walking through the waters of baptism. This, this, is, this should be a celebration. And if our hearts are in the right place, we would not check out and be like, oh, I've already heard about this, I've already been there, I don't need this. If we have that attitude, it's pretty clear that we're just here to consume. And, and that's consumerism kills the church. That is not who we are. That we, we should be, uh, six months rolls around, and we should be like itching for another baptism service because we got, our friends have just recently got saved, and we want to, we want to see them engage in the power of baptism. So my challenge to you tonight, uh, I don't know all your stories, if you have already been baptized, or you already know a lot about baptism, uh, don't be a consumer and just check out. Let this be a, a time tonight where, for one, you, you remember, you recall, you rehearse your baptism. The power that is available to you because you've experienced this, this amazing moment of, of baptism. But also, could we celebrate and could we just be excited that, that our church needs this message again? That, that there are people that have given their hearts to Jesus and next week are going to put that on display. This is exciting. We can clap, Alex. That's awesome. Where's your brother? Did he shave his mustache? Oh, he's a man. Adam had to shave his for good reasons, but uh, he's considering mustache, mustache May, not just mustache March, mustache May. Um, I just have, I like grow a goatee without shaving into a goatee. It's just the way it comes. I can't grow sideburns, nothing. So we, uh, we're excited that we're going to talk about baptism. And at this church, we're probably going to talk about it a lot. Hopefully, if you stick around here long, maybe you could actually give my message on baptism because uh, you, you've heard it enough. Because we are always going to be preaching the gospel. We're always going to see people, see people put their faith in Jesus and take the next step of baptism. So we're going to talk about it all the time. We're going to have baptism services all the time. We're going to see God continue to grow his church, build his church, and see lives get changed. Let's pray, and we're going to talk about baptism for a few minutes. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. We thank you for what you're doing in this city. We thank you... Uh, that we need to talk about baptism again. And we thank you for the lives that are going to be changed forever through the waters of baptism uh, one week from now. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a party. I just pray that tonight you would work in our hearts, that we would see uh, how good Jesus is, even as we're doing more of a teaching and a topical night, which isn't typical. Um, I believe that you, your word is still powerful and true, and it's going to speak to us. And uh, we celebrate the fact that lives are being changed and hearts are being opened to you. And uh, help us to learn, even if we've been baptized, learn more about the purpose of baptism and, and what it's meant in our lives and how we can communicate this to other people uh, in our lives. God, help us to, to always be on mission, always be in the zoo, always be reaching out to those in our community. We love you. We worship you. It's your name we're gathering. It's your name we pray. And Zootown said, amen. amen. We, uh, it's our human nature, at least in our culture, to uh, when you're really committed to something, when you really buy into it, we like to show who we identify with, or what we identify with. Uh, there's several examples for this, but uh, we'll just pick a couple. One would be uh, when you, you've got a sports team that you really, you really like. It's one thing to like, hope that team wins. 
It's another thing to like buy their jersey and to, to paint your face and to TiVo every one of their games. Like this is a whole nother level of, of fanatic. It's not just like, yeah, I'd prefer that they win. Like you, you, you identify yourself with them, even the way that you, you construct your wardrobe. And uh, we just recently had the Super Bowl, I guess it was a couple months ago now. In the Super Bowl week, and, and even throughout the playoffs, there were certain people in, in our community, and, to, and honestly probably around the globe, where you didn't even have to consider or ask which team they were rooting for. You could see from a mile away, because they're decked from head to toe in Seahawks green and, and blue, that this, these guys are, are cheering for the Seahawks. They identify themselves with the Seahawks or the Broncos or whatever team is, is your preferred team. But... We even get to the place where we get so identified with the team that you will hear statements like this, and I heard it this last Super Bowl, where Seahawks fans make statements like this, we won the Super Bowl. We did not win the Super Bowl. We sat on the couch and consumed tons of calories and yelled at a flat screen and laughed at commercials. That's what we did. They won the Super Bowl. But when we find ourselves so committed and identified with a team, all of a sudden it's not just them, it's, it's we. We did this. You know, we're the 12th man. Of course we had something to do with it. No, you didn't. Uh, you, you did nothing. But we find ourselves being so identified that it becomes we. This, this happens in, in other areas. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in gang activity. Um, believe it or not, I'm a... I'm a white boy from Missoula, and uh, I don't have a lot of, of experience. But I have heard that once you uh, get initiated into a gang community, that uh, you then get to, to begin wearing their colors. And you wear the red bandana if you're in the Bloods, and you got some crazy hand signals if you're in the Crips, and that's all of my knowledge on gangs right there. Uh, but you begin to, to wear their colors and identify with them so that any stranger uh, in your community can observe even from a distance. You don't have to say one word. They can identify who you associate with, where, where you belong, what you stand for. We do this with, with bumper stickers. You can drive by somebody with all of these political bumper stickers, and you don't have to say one word to them. You know exactly what they stand for. Uh, it doesn't matter which side of, of the arguments or the belief system you are on this one, but uh, we, we've probably all seen the big diesel trucks that have hippie haters all across the back. Like, uh, I don't care what you think about that. Uh, you know before you drive past that diesel or that diesel drives past you and blows black smoke in your face, uh, you know what that guy stands for. Uh, you know who he's identifying with and what the culture he represents. Um, Baptism is very much the same way. It's us going public. It's us making a statement, uh, showing what we identify and who we identify with. That baptism is, 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 in essence, going public that we are identifying with Jesus. That we are on his team. That it's not just that Jesus has done something great. It's, it's one thing to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus beat death. Jesus is, 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 is perfect. Jesus is righteous. But we can get to the place where we get so identified with him that it's no longer just him. It's, it's we. That we've won. That we've beaten death. That we are the righteousness of God. Now it can seem so easy like, well, I, I don't deserve that. I shouldn't have the luxury of identifying myself as righteous and as pure. You're exactly right. 
That's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of grace that you and I, we cannot just be a fan of God and and prefer that God win and prefer that Jesus do his thing, but we can be so identified with him, we can put on the jersey and the bumper sticker and wear his colors and be so identified that all of a sudden it's, it's we. We win. We've beaten death. That we are the righteousness of God because we have identified ourselves with Jesus. This is incredible. This is amazing news. This is a, a beautiful gospel that he's given us. So baptism in its, its essence is, is you identifying yourself with Jesus. Check out Romans chapter 6. It, it, it illustrates to us what we're identifying with in Jesus. In verse 1 it says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. I mean, it says it right there that, that we were joined with Jesus in baptism. Verse 4 says, for we died and we were buried with Christ in baptism. Now, this is already good news, but it gets better. It says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Amen? This is amazing. That we get to identify with Jesus through baptism. It's showing our colors. It's showing that we, we've been united with him. And it says that we're united with his, his burial to start with. That, that baptism is, is a funeral for the old you. It's like the best funeral ever. It's the funeral that you can laugh at and clap at, and cheer for, and, and have a good time, because it is the old you being, being buried. It is, it is symbolic. It is showing that, that the old you is, is dead, and that it's, it's done away with. I love how 2 Corinthians 5 says that if anyone is, is in Christ, has identified with Christ, he is, he's a brand new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come, that we, through the waters of baptism, can take the old you, your Simon, and he can be buried and, and put, put in, in in the waters and be, have a funeral for Simon and up out of the water comes, comes Peter. That we can transition from ordinary to extraordinary by the baptisms of, of, of the waters of baptism. That, that we get to put the old to, to bed, to rest, and come back alive in Christ. I wanted to uh, clarify some things tonight. It's, some of this is going to be teaching. But I want to clarify that when you're baptized, you're not baptized into a church. Should you get baptized here next, Tuesday, next Thursday night? Uh, you're not being baptized into Zootown Church. You're not even being baptized into a religion. You're not being baptized into some obligation or to some commitment to anybody or any place. What you are being baptized into 100% is you're being baptized into Jesus. That you are identifying, you're being unified with him. We are blessed and we are honored that, that we would get to be the place, we would get to be the individuals to celebrate and join you in that baptism, but there is no new obligation to us. It is simply you and Jesus, and you are identifying with him. You're going public with your stance in him. For some of you in here, I, I don't know all your stories, I don't know what your, your history or, or lack of history is in baptism, so I just want to, to teach a little bit on what, what we believe baptism is. By definition, baptism is, is the complete immersion or submersion in water. It's, it's, it's completely immersed in water, but it's, it's obviously with, with a purpose. It's not just cannonballing into the deep end of the local swimming pool and calling that baptism without any purpose behind it. That there's the submersion in water 
with purpose. And the purpose is that you are making this public confession, that you are identifying yourself with Jesus, and you are committing yourself fully as the property of Jesus. In essence, you're putting yourself on display. I also want to clarify, um, because there's different belief systems, we at Zootown Church... um, we don't believe that, that baptism is necessary or mandatory for salvation. That you don't get saved by baptism. That you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. At the same time, just because you have been baptized, we don't believe that that means you're saved. We don't believe that baptism is a salvation issue. There's, there's all kinds of different places we could go in Scripture. My favorite place to go is, is, is the guy that died on the cross next to Jesus. This criminal on the cross. He, he's lived a, a sinful life. He deserves to die. He, he's been a crook and a criminal, and he is, he is nailed to the tree next to Jesus. And in this moment, he cries out to Jesus, and he puts his faith in Jesus. And I love Jesus' simple response is, today you'll be with me in paradise. He says, you're there. You're saved. And that's like the end of the conversation. The guy dies right then. I'm so glad that the story doesn't go, uh, Jesus, I put my faith in you, and Jesus goes on to say, well, we got a dilemma here, buddy. Um, you need to find some way to get those nails out of your hands, climb down this tree, uh, make your way down this big hill, find some water, hopefully there's a righteous guy there that can dunk you in it, hike your way back up here, get back on that tree, drive those nails again, and, and then you're going to be good. If you can't do that, I mean, sorry, there's just nothing I can do for you. I'm so glad that's not the conversation. That man never had a chance to get baptized, and it was okay. That he didn't have to be baptized to be saved. I believe if that man would have had the luxury of of more time on earth, Jesus would have been an advocate for his baptism. Like, yeah, why don't you, if you've got your faith in me, why don't you put it on display? Why don't you go public with it? I think Jesus would have endorsed that, but he obviously didn't think it was mandatory. So we can't make baptism a salvation issue. That, that you're not saved if you haven't been baptized or that you are saved because you've been baptized. We, we can't do that. That it is not a, a symbol of salvation. It's simply an outward symbol of an inward commitment. And it's putting on display what's going on inside of us. It, it's, it's, the, it's the team jersey. Like, yes, the, the, the fan, the, the desire for them to win is on the inside of you, but now you're putting it on the outside for everyone to see. It's the bumper sticker. My favorite illustration of of us putting on display is, is, is the wedding ring. I believe that baptism is the wedding ring of our relationship with Jesus. This wedding ring that, that I wear is a symbol of my commitment to my wife. That uh, without saying any words, the fact that I wear this, and if anybody recognizes it, it makes a statement. It says that, uh, that I'm committed to somebody. It means I'm not on the market. I'm not shopping around. That I've made my decision. That, that uh, I'm committed now, if, if I took this wedding ring off, or say I never ever wore a wedding ring, I'm no less married. The wedding ring doesn't make me married, but it's a really valuable, important part of our marriage to put on display my commitment to my wife. Baptism is so much the same way. That what baptism is, is it's, it's that wedding ring. It's putting on display to the community, to anyone who sees, that uh, I've made my decision. I'm not on the market anymore, I'm not shopping around, I've made my choice that that it's Jesus, that I'm following him, and and I'm committed for the rest of my days, and I'm putting that on display, I'm not hiding it, I'm wearing it proudly, that this is my decision. Now once again, without baptism, the commitment inside of you is, is no less real, but you're just missing out on a really valuable aspect of your relationship with Jesus, that this, this ring says a lot, 
And it's really important that, that my wife and I wear them. And so is baptism in your relationship with Jesus. We, we believe that baptism is something that is to be done when you become uh, of the age or the maturity where, where it's your decision to put on display your faith. That's why here at Zootown, uh, based on the biblical model we see, uh, we don't baptize uh, infants or babies. Uh, we, we see the model in Scripture is that you, you dedicate babies, and then when they become of age and understanding that the faith in Jesus is their own, it's personal, it's real, then we see the, the model of them being baptized. We see in Scripture, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, that, that what was done when a baby was born and you, wanted to, you want them to be committed to Jesus, you took them to the temple, you took them to the church, and you had them prayed over, and you just commit to God this child that you've given us. It's a gift, and we want to give it back to you. We want to raise this child to serve you, to know you, to love you, that we understand you've given us a responsibility to train this child in your ways, and so we commit that to you. We dedicate this child to you. And then when the child gets old enough to be baptized, it's their decision. We see it specifically with Jesus. When Jesus was born, when he was a baby, he was taken to the temple and he was dedicated to the service of God. It wasn't until Jesus was 30 years old that he got baptized. And so we, we believe that baptism is, is not for the infant, that it's for, it's for you making a personal decision. On the same note, uh, we don't believe baptism is, is, is done by, by sprinkling or by dabbing a cross on your forehead. And I'm not belittling or criticizing other churches or denominations. Um, this, we just don't see that in Scripture. Uh, we, we, we don't see that. Now, if you've done that, if you've been sprinkled or someone in your family or you've been, uh, had a cross dabbed on your forehead, I'm not saying that any harm was done. I think that's fine. I think that's okay. It's just not the model that we choose to follow at Zootown because it's not the model that we find in the Scriptures. We, we find that it's, it's complete submersion. In a few minutes, we're going to read about Jesus being baptized, and it says that Jesus came up out of the water, that he was under the water, and he came out of it. It doesn't say that there was a, a dribble of water that trickled down his nose after he got sprinkled. Uh, he, he got submerged, and so that's what we choose to follow as a church community. At the same time, it's, it's the condition of the heart that God is interested in. It's the commitment, it's the vows that you're making inwardly, that you're putting on display outwardly. Um, I think that, that, I remember this one time I was baptizing this girl, and as she went underwater, and it was this, this shallow pool that we were baptizing in, uh, like the top of her head and her forehead didn't quite make it underwater, and she started coming back up. And I began like freaking out, like, uh, uh, what do we do about it? And so I just started like grabbing water and like shoving it on her. I was like, uh, it, 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 does this work? And I, I, I think it worked. Uh, I don't think that God's like, sorry, try again next year, pal. Um, I think it was okay. If next Thursday night when we're baptizing someone, there's a, a stray hand that flails and doesn't get underwater, um, I think we're going to be okay. I think that God understands the commitment of the heart. Therefore, if there is a situation where complete submersion isn't possible, and whatever the situation is, I think it's okay. Think if someone's on, on their hospital bed, and it, obviously you're not going to go dunk them in water. Well, yeah, God understands what's going on in your heart. But when possible, we choose to follow the biblical model of submersion. Uh, that's just what we choose to do. And again, that's not criticizing other beliefs. That's what we see in the Bible, so that's what we choose to do. Um, and, and I think it works anyways if you're not fully submerged. It's like if you stutter in your vows, it doesn't mean your marriage doesn't work. Like you stumbled through the vows, okay? Well, you're still married. You stumbled through your, your baptism. Some parts didn't look as pretty. Well, you're okay. You're, you're, still, you're still okay. Check out Matthew chapter 3. This is Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. 
It says, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John, his cousin, tried to talk him out of it. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why, why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, uh, this should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize, baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Other translations say, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We see that there is joy and there is pleasure as a response from God in this moment. I think it's important to note that this is Jesus getting baptized. Therefore, baptism is not about the forgiveness of sins and it's not about salvation. This is Jesus. He is the sinless, spotless son of God. He, he doesn't need forgiveness, therefore this baptism can't be a baptism of forgiveness. That he doesn't need to be saved, he's, he's God. That this is, a, this is symbolic of him identifying his allegiance. Him saying, this is what I stand for, this is my mission, this is what I belong to. And if Jesus, in this moment, when, when John tries to talk him out of it, say, what are you doing, you, sh- you don't need to get baptized, Jesus' response is, no, we need to do this, this is... This is necessary. If Jesus thinks it's necessary for him to get baptized, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say I think it's necessary for us to get baptized. Like, I'm going to just take his side. If he thinks it's all right uh, and necessary, so do I. What he says goes. Now, Jesus, he's, he's our model. He's, he's who we're trying to follow, who we're trying to emulate. Therefore, if this was the only teaching or example we ever saw on baptism, uh, it's good enough for me. If Jesus did it, I want to do it. If Jesus did it, you should do it. Like, we should do what Jesus did. That is, that is what we're trying to do as Christians, as followers of him, so, so we should get baptized. And I love that the, the Trinity is on display here. This is, this is obviously a powerful moment. It's one of the only times we see all three parts of the Godhead in one place. We see the Son getting baptized. We see the Spirit descending like a dove. And then we see God open up his mouth and, and say something. And, and I love that, that God speaks up. And I love that he speaks pleasure. He speaks joy. Now, I don't know what your opinion of God is and what he sounds like and how he communicates. It seems like he's often portrayed as this grumpy grandpa. And so he would say in this moment, like, yeah, that's my son. I'm happy. Like, I don't think that that's what God was saying at this point. I think he is, he is reacting. He can't keep his mouth shut of how proud he is of his son. Like, my daughter Charlie, uh, when she, she plays soccer, and, and I remember several times, but I remember the first game of her last season, she, she has this early in the game, this breakaway, and she, she runs out from the crowd uh, with, with the ball, and she dribbles down the field, and she shoots, and she scores a goal. And I just can't keep my mouth shut. I'm the ref of the game, and I'm just like, yeah, Charlie, you're awesome, yeah, come on, everybody celebrate, give her a high five. I know you're on the other team, but you're going to celebrate with us. You're congratu- Give her a hug, tell her how awesome she is. Like, I couldn't help but just explode with pride for something good my daughter did. I think that's the reaction we get here from God. He sees his son do something. That brings him so much pleasure and so much joy. He's so proud. He's freaking out like the, the ref on the soccer field. He's like, 
yeah, that's my kid. That's my boy. I'm so happy. He brings me joy. I'm so proud. I am pleased in this moment that this is God's response. He's not grumpy. He's just, he's just a happy dad. I believe the same thing happens every time we choose to go through the waters of baptism. That God and Jesus are so proud that we have chosen to identify with him. My wife, uh, she's beautiful, obviously. Uh, she's gorgeous. I don't know how I did it, but there obviously is a God. And, uh, and I'm grateful. I love how beautiful she is. It's, it's a good thing to marry a beautiful woman. Fellas, I would encourage it. Um, and we've come to find out that I'm not the only guy on this planet that recognizes her beauty. Um, there's other guys that recognize it as well. And so she gets, she gets checked out. She gets whistled at. She gets hit on uh, frequently. And uh, even just the other day, we were, we were out at Costco. And uh, she's pushing this cart with two crazy children trying to escape. And she's trying to settle them down and buckle them in and strap them in. And, and she's, she's, she's like flustered. But in the midst of this fluster, her beauty is so obvious that this, this older gentleman decides to just oogle her. And I'm, I'm watching him oogle her. And so uh, I, I'm like looking at him and, and, I, and I'm just staring at him. And he finally like makes eye contact with me and I go. And that's like all I would ever do. Like that's all, that's all I can do. I was like this, this better work because it's all I got. And I just give him this look and he looks at me. And he just looks right back at her and scans her up and down. I was like, part of me is like, I'm really mad at you. And part of me is like, I can't blame you. <laughs> I don't know that I'd do anything different. And, uh, and so what, what's awesome is in those moments when I get to, to put my arm around her. Or what's even better is when she's noticing uh, another guy checking her out and she just puts her arm around me. There's just like something inside of you, just like, yeah, boy. And it's just, there's just this pride that wells up in me. There's c- consistently times where, where, where you know, the, the guys in the truck next to her are, are hitting on her and, and whistling at her. And, and it's just the best thing ever when Danny, uh, when, when they're hitting on her or trying to talk to her, when she just throws up the wedding ring and just like scratches her head or holds it up in the window and, and gives them the finger, <laughs> the wedding ring finger. I love it. When, we, when she was getting uh, hit on by this, this cashier at this checkout at this grocery store, and as, as this guy's just flirting with her, she just like puts her hand up over the counter and like flashes the finger. And man, when that happens, there's just this pride inside of me that just wells up. Like, yes, she has chosen to identify with me. Like, I, I can't help but just have this hugest smile on my face and so proud that, that I have a wife that has chosen to identify with me. And although other people are attracted and desiring her, that she puts the finger in their face and says, no, no, I've made a commitment. This is the response. This is the pride that wells up inside of Jesus when we get baptized. The fact of the matter is, is there is a world that is calling at us and whistling at us and desiring us. And when we can, in those moments, although the world would want to have us and is desiring for us, in that moment when we, through the waters of baptism, give them the finger, give them the wedding ring finger saying, no, I'm not available. I'm not interested, that I have chosen Jesus, that Jesus, he, we are his bride, he is our husband, he has this pride well up inside him, like, yes, they have chosen me, they are not giving in to the desires of the flesh or the desires of the world, that, that they have chosen to identify with me, and he as the husband has this just pride well up and explode from him. 
this is what we get to do through the waters of baptism. There's pride, there's joy, there's pleasure that comes from him. Check out Matthew 28. These are some of the very last words of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus says, Therefore go, and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Obviously, baptism is, is a big deal to Jesus. In his final words to Peter and his other disciples, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to take the gospel my good news, my story, my hope, my redemption for humanity. I want you to take it to the nations. I want you to take it around the world. I want you to have people turn to Jesus and then baptize them. I think this is why Peter's response in Acts chapter 2 was, what do we do? Well, uh, repent and, and be baptized. Turn to Jesus and, and go public. Like, that's what Jesus told us to do. That was his last words. That's all I can tell you is, is to do what Jesus said. Jesus obviously sees baptism as, as a big deal. That this is a significant thing, but, but it goes on. It doesn't just end with, with baptizing people. It says in verse 20, Now teach these new disciples to obey everything that I've commanded you, everything I've taught you, and surely I'll, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Meaning there's a mutual commitment between us once baptism has taken place. That we were never called to baptize people and then just leave them hanging. That there is a, a commission and a responsibility on our end to continue to teach the truths of Jesus, to continue to help you see Jesus, to continue pointing you to him and, and get to know him better and to experience his grace, that that is on us. And we choose to do that. And we're going to keep pastoring. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. On the other hand, you have a mutual responsibility that you don't just get baptized and then disappear that you need to put yourself in a place to continue to grow in the person of Jesus, to continue to be pointed towards him, to, to learn and to grow and to be in a community of faith that helps enhance and grow your faith in Jesus. The baptism is, is awesome, but it must be teamed up with growing and being taught the truths of God's word. So we see Jesus model baptism at the beginning of his ministry and then command it at the end of his ministry, meaning this is a pretty significant moment. As odd as it can sound, if you didn't grow up in the church to get baptized, like why is there a, a water trough, a horse trough, or in other churches like this fancy hot tub, why is that in the middle of this church? Like, do you like check out ball games between services or why, what is this? It can seem like an odd, peculiar behavior, and I don't know why Jesus and God designed this, uh, but they did. I mean, some people, this is really weird. Like, I don't like being in front of people in, in dry clothes, like, let alone looking like a drowned rat with water and, and, and my hair all over my face and my clothes all sticky in weird ways. Like, why would I want to do that in front of people? Yes, this can seem odd, but obviously Jesus sees some serious significance in it, that there is power in going public. There is power in being on display in the zoo, that there is something important and challenging and changing inside of us when we go through the waters of baptism. To answer a few questions that, that I hear frequently when we talk about baptism, first off, uh, when should I get baptized? Is there a certain waiting period? Is there a certain you know, set of circumstances that need to be in, in, in line or orchestrated or accomplished before I get baptized? We see scripturally, uh, everywhere that I read, everywhere that I look is, is you should get baptized like right away. Most of the stories you read in the Bible are the same day, even sometimes the same hour. I love that Peter, he said, repent and be baptized. Like you should do this now. 
He didn't say repent, and then once you've taken a, a, enough classes, and once we've observed your behavior, and once you've quit your addictions, then we'll talk about baptism. He said repent, turn to Jesus, and get baptized, like, like right away. Check out the story we find in Acts chapter 8. This is one of the, the awesome stories on baptism we get. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else referencing a scripture they had just discussed? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Essentially, is there any reason that I can't be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. He just transported. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I love this story. Because this guy, he hears of Jesus for the first time. He puts his faith in Jesus for the first time. And he asks the question. They obviously must have talked about baptism in this message of of talking about Jesus. Because his response is, well, now that I've put my faith in Jesus, is there anything holding me back? from getting baptized? Is there anything necessary before I get baptized? And we see that, no, there was nothing. There was nothing preventing this guy from the moment he put his faith in Jesus from being baptized immediately. That there is no class that you need to take. There's no certain set of education. There's no, uh, no behavior observation period. There's no need for you to, to kick your bad habits and to get your life in order and structured. And, and none of that is necessary. That it is your belief that is is all that's necessary. It's not your behavior, that it's your heart, not your actions. And now again, I'm not criticizing other denominations, but this, this is hard to argue scripture, that this guy had, had no chance to change his behavior before he got baptized. He just said, there's some water right there, can we do it? He said, yeah, let's, let's stop the chariot and let's get baptized right now. So I believe that uh, if you put your faith in Jesus, even if tonight for the first time you put your faith in Jesus, uh, you're ready to get baptized. Let's get baptized Right away, let's get baptized next week. I think that would be sweet. Plus, I really want to transport. Uh, I think it would just be awesome if next week we finish baptizing people and my wife and I are all of a sudden on the sandy beaches of Hawaii. Um, that would be all right with me. And there's that kind of power in baptism, so we're believing for it. Uh, and that would be just, how cool would that be? Philip did it. I want to do it. What's cool in this story, too, is that the water wasn't really significant. It, this could have been a... Dirty pond for all we know. Could have been a mud puddle for all we know. It's like, uh, there's some water. Like, the water didn't matter. It wasn't a specific place. It wasn't a certain, uh, a certain holy water. I want to tell you next week when we baptize people in a horse trough, um, it's just going to be normal water. It's not holy water. It's, it's secular water. It's just, it's Missoula's aquifer water. It's going to be the same water we wash dirty dishes in and flush our toilets and wash our hands. It's just, it's just water. It's not the water. It's not the building. It's not the location that makes this activity holy. It's, it's your faith. It's your faith in Jesus. It's your belief in you choosing to identify with him. It can be a dirty mud puddle, and it's holy because it is you identifying and putting your faith and your commitment in Jesus. question we often hear as well is, what if I've already been baptized? What if I was baptized in a previous church or baptized as an infant? If I was baptized as a baby, do I need to get baptized again? Or why would I need to get baptized again if if I was baptized as a baby? I would simply respond to to that set of questions with, with another question. Why did you get baptized? 
Did you get baptized because you had made a personal choice to put your faith in Jesus on display? If that was your intention, then you're good to go. Like, that was the point. But if you were a baby and it was just a, a structure in your church setting or in your family, and it was not your personal decision to, to display your faith in Jesus, then I am an advocate of being baptized again. I completely think that that is okay. At the same time, I don't think that rebaptism is necessary because salvation isn't found in baptism. But it's a really cool thing to, to re-identify your faith and your commitment in Christ. I remember my parents' 15th wedding anniversary. We were on a youth trip. They were youth leaders at the time. We were in Washington, D.C. I was just a little kid. And on the steps of the Capitol building, my parents renewed their wedding vows. They, they recommitted. They, they exchanged vows again. And it was, it was cool. And there was nobody there, the crowds of people around, not one person said, man, this is ridiculous. Didn't their first vows work? Like, why would they do this again? This is stupid. I, this, is, this is ridiculous. Nobody thought that. Everyone thought, man, this is really cool. That even though they've been married for so long, that they want to make it public once again. And they want to reaffirm their commitment to each other. They want to renew their vows. That's cool. It, there's nothing wrong with recommitting your vows and your commitment to Jesus. I've seen other marriages and couples who have who've had seasons of, of their marriage that were really bad, seasons of, of adultery, seasons of, of reckless living and, and abandonments and, and terrible seasons of marriage. And when they come back together and, and they decide to, to, to try this again, there's this, this renewing of their vows, this, this new commitment. No one says that's stupid. That's actually pretty awesome. I believe that there may be even some people here tonight who maybe you've been baptized before. But to be honest, it's, it's been a distancing in your relationship with Jesus. To be honest, there's been some, some adultery and some, some struggle in your relationship with Jesus. I think Jesus is pretty jacked up when you want to renew your vows, when you want to put back on display your faith and your love for him. I love the story of the prodigal son. And worship team, you guys can come on up. The prodigal son in Luke 15, and we talked about it a little bit last week. But it, it's so amazing. It's, it's Jesus' example to us of how God feels and God reacts when his kids come back to him after a season away. This son had, had wandered from his father. He, he, had, he had abused grace. He had, he had abused and, and, and squandered his inheritance. He had lived recklessly and wildly. He had been distant from his father. And as he decides to come home and has this desire to be the slave of the father, when he comes home, the father once again runs out to him. He wraps his arms around him. He says, forget your speech. You don't owe me anything. You're not going to be a slave. You're my son. And I love in this moment as we, as we use the wedding ring illustration. Amongst the amazing things the father does. The party that he's been planning over the, the past months or years of, of his son's wild living. He starts the party. He says, everything that we planned, let's start doing it. Go get the best food. Go get the best clothes. Go get the best DJ and the best dance floor and, and let's party. One of the things that I love about it is not only does this father bring all of this and, and, and the family robe, he brings to his son and he puts on his son's finger the family ring. He puts a ring on his finger. And he says, you, you're part of the family. You're not a slave, you're my son. I know you've been distant. I know you've been uncommitted in our relationship. I know you took this ring off. I know you, you walked away from our commitment. You walked away from relationship with me. 
You've lived recklessly. But when we return to Jesus, not only does He say, you're no longer a slave, He says, let's put that ring back on. Let's reestablish this commitment. Let's put you back in your family identity that you belong to me. That when we, we've wandered from Jesus, when we come back to him, I think he's pretty excited for us to put the wedding ring back on. I think he's pretty cool with us being baptized once again, saying I am identifying myself with Jesus. I'm identifying myself with the family, that I am on his team, that we win, that we are bigger than my past failures, that this is better than, than, than what I've done. This is better than being a slave, that I choose, although I don't deserve it, I put the ring back on. I am a son once again. This is Jesus' heart for you, that it's totally awesome and beautiful to come back to Jesus and put that ring back on, to be baptized once again. There's often this fear and this struggle of, well, what if I get baptized? What if I show my colors, yet my behavior is still inconsistent? What if I get baptized and I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but I still fail and I fall and my addictions come to the surface? Like maybe I should get rid of those things first and then get baptized. Because I don't want to claim identity in Jesus and then look like a hypocrite because I go back to my faults and my failures. I want to tell you something tonight. Our behavior rarely, if ever, agrees with our belief. That we we have a standard and we have a Jesus that we love and we serve that we could never live up to. Even just recently, I was contemplating this whole concept of the hypocrisy in the church and and how the world, that's what turns them off and and turns them away, that that they're hypocrites. And the reality is, is I know that I am a hypocrite, that I preach things that I can't live. I preach things that I'm still dealing with and struggling through. And God, he spoke so clearly to me. He said, Kyle, if you are not being a hypocrite, you're watering down the gospel. That if I am preaching something that I can live, it's, we don't need grace. We don't need the good news of Jesus. That yes, we're hypocrites. Yes, you can get, put your faith in Jesus and get baptized and then not live properly. That's our only option if we are to be honest. There is no one that's going to get baptized and then live a sinless life. But we must understand that baptism is not a symbol of our behavior, it's a symbol of our belief that this is a symbol of who we identify with the whole gospel the whole the whole perspective of grace is that we we're not good enough for it we're not good enough for baptism we're not good enough to identify with jesus but he chooses to let us anyway to take on his righteousness to take on his purity what an amazing opportunity what a luxury that we have will never be good enough, but that's why it exists. That we can join and identify with Jesus. So we must understand that it's, it's the belief in Jesus that's essential for salvation. If you believe in Jesus tonight, you're saved. You're good. You're going to heaven. Even if you haven't been baptized, it's belief in Jesus that's necessary. However, as your pastor, if, if you believe in Jesus, I, I appeal to you to be baptized, to go public, to identify with him. You see, in my relationship with Danny, I'm obviously expected to display my my commitment to her. 
that I'm expected to wear this wedding ring. I'm expected to, to sit by her and to hold her hand and, and to show my affection to her even in public settings. Like, this is expected. In fact, something is wrong if I don't. Something is wrong if I refuse to wear a wedding ring. Something is wrong if I refuse to put on display my commitment to her. When it comes to our faith in Jesus, if you believe, if there is a commitment, there is an expectation to, to, to not hide that. If there is this unwillingness to identify with him through the waters of baptism, there is something wrong in that relationship. There is a commitment that needs to be reaffirmed and reestablished and, and analyzed. What is your faith? What is your commitment? Because I believe that if you identify with him, if you believe in him, you're willing to, to make it public. There may be some of you here tonight. I don't know all your stories. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But step one towards baptism is, is turning to Jesus. It's turn to Jesus and, and then be baptized. Understanding that it's the turning to Jesus that's the salvation moment. That's the all-important question of, are you turning to Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? That's step one. And I believe that maybe tonight God's stirring in some of your hearts that tonight is the night that, that you turn to Jesus. Whether it's the first time, or maybe you're, you're that prodigal son, you've, you, you've been serving Jesus in the past, but it's been distant, and, and you've abused grace, you've, you've been adulterous in your relationship with him, and tonight is the night that, that you walk that path home, and he is there waiting to throw his arms around you, put the ring back on you. Man, that is the best thing ever, that is the celebration that, that, that we long for, that we, we exist for. And so tonight, if that's you, before we can even talk about do you want to get baptized? We've got to make sure that everyone here has turned to Jesus. And again, I don't know your story. If that's you and tonight you want to turn to Jesus, not to embarrass you, but just so we can celebrate and pray with you, we just put your hand up right now and I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody here? I don't know your story. I don't want to jump to conclusions. Anybody say, this is my night to turn to Jesus, put my faith in him. All right. So here's my next appeal to you. Next Thursday night, we're having baptisms right here in this spot. We're going to celebrate what God's done in the lives of people of this church. We're going to celebrate those that have put their faith in him for the first time, those that have returned to him, those that are putting the wedding ring back on. We're going to hear stories and testimonies, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to party. And I want to open this up to, to you as well. We had several people sign up at the first service, and uh, I believe that we're going to have even more uh, now at this service. Whether you've been baptized before or you've never been baptized, if there's a stern in your heart tonight, I'm going to ask you to, to sign up. We've got a sign-up sheet up here, and there's other ones back there, but uh, we could probably all fit on this one up here still. If you want to get baptized, we're going to do our best in the next couple of days to start scheduling meetings with you, because once again, we don't want to just dunk you in water and leave you hanging. We want to be involved in your life. We want to get to know you. We want to hear your story. We want to pray with you. We want to continue to grow in Jesus with you. Uh, so we just ask for an email or uh, a phone number. We want to contact you. Um, Alex is going to be the first to go. And, uh, and it's going to be awesome. And next week, we're going to show up here. We're going to, if you can remember, bring an extra change of clothes. You might want some dark clothes because uh, you're going to come up wet. Um, you uh, might want to bring a towel and a change of clothes. And uh, you might want to bring, like, flowers and confetti and video cameras and silly string, and balloons, and uh, 
we're going to celebrate. We're going to party with God and celebrate what God is doing in people's lives. We want to encourage you to invite your family, invite your friends. There's nothing more powerful than the testimonies that are going to be shared. This place is going to be packed out at 7 o'clock. And once it's done, however many people we baptize, we're going to open it up afterwards for people that didn't come prepared. We're going to see people come get baptized in their blue jeans and, uh, and not have a change of clothes or a towel and just drip dry on the way home. And it's going to be awesome. And uh, we're going to see lives changed. We're going to see Simon be buried and Peter come out. We're going to see and we're going to celebrate what God's doing in, in the individual lives of this church. We're excited about it. If you want to get baptized for the first time or, or re-baptized, we're going to ask you to sign up. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And you can sign up while we're worshiping. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have of baptism. We thank you that, uh, man, it seemed like we baptized so many people just six months ago, 70, 80 people, and I'm so grateful. Six months later, we're having sign-up sheets filled up again. I thank you that lives are being changed. I thank you that when the name of Jesus is lifted up, people come running. Jesus, I thank you that when we focus on you, you're building your church. God, we celebrate and we thank you for the lives that are being touched. We right now, we celebrate what's going to happen next week for the lives that are going to be changed forever, for people that are going to hear the testimonies, witness these stories, and, and they too are going to choose to put their faith in you. God, we don't just thank you for salvations today. We thank you for the salvations we're going to see next Thursday night. We thank you that this week we're going to be inviting friends, family members to witness what you're doing, and it's going to stir in their hearts. Grace is going to touch them. Faith is going to erupt, and eternities are going to be changed. Father, we thank you that although we, we deserve nothing, that there is not a one of us that deserves to be identified with you, that you allow us to put our faith in you, to be deemed righteous, holy, pure, and that we can symbolically put that on display through the waters of baptism. We love you. We choose tonight to worship you. We're excited to see what you're going to do next week. Show us who to invite, who to bring, and uh, we're excited to celebrate. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. And again, you can sign up if you want to get baptized.